Thank you for joining us at the First Baptist Church of Coleraine, Massachusetts. It is our prayer that this message will encourage the believer and bring the unbeliever closer to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, and we'd like to welcome those who may be watching this on YouTube to be with us this morning, this Easter morning in 2022. And we again have with us uh, Pastor Renzo Ventris filling in for our Pastor Jim as he's recuperating from knee surgery. So, Pastor, I would like to welcome you to come up and preach to us as you have been. You know what Sunday this Sunday is, amen? amen? The devil, Carmen said, hates Sunday. But he really hates this one. Because this is the day that Jesus forever destroyed the works of Satan. Amen. Well, I'm privileged to be preaching the Word of God, and I just want to thank God for Sister Denise and Pastor Jim Rennie. They have been, uh, your fellowship has just been so sweet and so very precious, and um, I just thank God that as we walk through life, God gives us the privilege of getting to hear the stories of individual Christ followers, right? And we learn so much from one another. Today for our scripture reading, would you be kind enough to turn to the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now we could have chosen many passages of scripture, but um, there is no passage in the Bible that so fully describes and explains the ramifications and the results in the life of a human being as the resurrection doctrine. So Father, add a blessing to your word. Anoint this message. Help us to fall so deeply in love with Jesus that we tell everybody about the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'll be reading verses 1 through 22, and then we're going to jump to verses 50 to 58. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. Can I get an amen? amen. If... You hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 other brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, that is the brother of Jesus. Then he appeared to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as, one, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles. 
I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him. In fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Verse 50. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable. The mortal with immortality. When perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of our Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's bow. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your sacred word. And today, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to exalt the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. I pray that everything that happens in this building would be a, a, a tremendous blessing to those 
who hear the word of God and keep it. I pray, most of all, that we will minister to those who have not been resurrected from the dead themselves, and we will share our testimony of how Christ has saved us and can save them as well. I pray that you would be glorified in the preaching and proclamation of the word. And God's people said, Amen. And God's people said, Amen. Hoorah. I want to give you an outline. How many of you just love the Bible? Isn't it honey to your soul? I've been so blessed. I must have like 13 different Bibles. My first language is Italian. I have three versions of the Italian Bible. I often kid around with my colleagues and my brothers and sisters, and I ask them the question, do you know why Romans was written by Paul? Do you know why Paul went to Rome? Because they couldn't go anywhere else in the Roman Empire to find a good meal. <laughs> but in my New King James Study Bible, the 15th chapter of the um, letter of Paul to the church of Corinth is divided in four amazing uh, segments. And if you have a pen and paper, I'd like to maybe have you write this down in your Bible. In my New King James Study Bible, verses 1 through 11... The risen Christ, faith's reality. You know, when you share your faith with someone, they got to know that it's, it's for real, right? There used to be this thing, you know, 30 years ago, I used to play basketball with the young kids, and, you know, once in a blue moon, I'd, I'd hit a, a three-pointer, and, and they'd look at me and say, for real? An old guy like you throwing in a 30-footer? For real? People need to know your faith is for real. Amen? And in... Verses 12 to 19, the risen Christ, our hope. We, have, we don't have a faith that I hope I get to heaven. We have a faith that my name is written in the books of heaven. Amen? And our hope will not be put to shame. It, the third segment or division of this chapter is the last enemy destroyed. How many of you can't wait to see the day that the Lord Jesus grabs the false prophet, the Antichrist, the devil, and all the demons and throws them into the lake of fire for the misery and the pain they've caused us. Yes. And then lastly, in this, in this chapter, verses 50 to 58, uh, our final victory. And I think it was last week or two weeks ago we sang that song, Victory in Jesus. There is no other victory in our lives except for the victory that Christ accomplished on the cross. Amen? When he said it was finished, it was over. And so today, we're going to just share with you uh, the title of today's message is Christ's Resurrection Established and Confirmed by Many Infallible Proofs. Christ's Resurrection confirmed and established by many infallible proofs. Now, I don't know if you ever were born in Missouri, but you know the people of Missouri, when you talk to them, you know what they say? Show me, because it's the show me state. And when we share our faith with people, when we talk about the resurrection, because Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection, if the resurrection is a farce, Christianity is a farce. But if the resurrection is true, and it is, 
And if it can be overwhelmingly proven that it is true, and I will do that today by God's grace, then no human being alive has in their right mind the right to reject this wonderful risen Savior. Amen? If this, this Messiah came and died for our sins, it would be the height of lunacy to reject someone who uh, grabbed death by the throat and choked it to death. Amen? Amen? And so this is our Savior. So I want to share with you today something that I pulled out of the complete Bible library, Harmony of the Gospels, and it, it's the chronological sequence of events. But this illustration comes to us by um, someone called Walter Martin, who is now in heaven, but wrote a book called Kingdom of the Cults. He was an apologist, and he proved the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be something that a human being with reason could comb over all the evidence and come to a conclusion that this Savior is who he said he was, did what he said he could do, and I'm going to give you an experiment. How many of you have heard of the scientific method of observation? You don't have to go to college to know that that's a, a, not just a theory, but it's, it's the method that all experiments <clears throat> can be tested under. And so science says, quote, that if there is such thing as infallible proof, it is the repetition of the same experiment. So let's go into God's laboratory. Experiment one, Jesus rose from the dead and Mary Magdalene encountered him at the grave. Indisputable historical evidence. Experiment two, the women encountered the risen Christ. It is Christ who exalted the state of women. In Jesus' day, women were not respected. Women's testimony meant nothing. Isn't it amazing that God doesn't choose men? He chooses women to go into the empty tomb and look at the burial cloth, and they, and they are uh, filled with excitement and wonder that Christ who said he would rise from the dead, rises from the dead. Experiment three, the disciples encounter him on the road to Emmaus. The two disciples were downcast. Why were they downcast? Because Jesus promised a kingdom. Jesus promised <clears throat> that he would give people the forgiveness of sins. Jesus promised that he could give you and I a new life. But if he doesn't rise from the dead, his promises are a terrible, sick joke. But Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, you know the story, he breaks bread with them, and the minute that he breaks bread with them and offers the Passover supper in their midst, the Bible says that they were able to see that it was Jesus. I like what A.W. Tozer wrote when he wrote a title of a book called The Fellowship of the Burning Hearts. You and I need to live lives like the two men on the road to Emmaus who were downcast. Their dreams had been dashed, destroyed, and ruined. 
but they saw Jesus and they were never the same. Brothers and sisters, when we wrap our minds around the resurrection of Jesus, we will never be the same again. The way we talk to people about our conversion experience will never be the same again. Because it will be the spirit of the living God igniting in you a fire shut up in your bones. And they will see in your countenance what they saw when they looked at Moses, when they looked at um, Jonathan Edwards, when they looked at George Whitfield. There will be a glow in your face because there's a Savior living in your soul. And he's risen today. Amen? Experiment number four. The apostles encounter him in the upper room. You know the story. They're scared to death. They are petrified at being executed. They're thinking to themselves, our rabbi has been crucified, and they're coming after the rest of us. Listen, how many of you have ever come to close calls in your life where you almost died? That's a terrifying, terrifying experience. Let's go in our mind's eye into the upper room. And they are just waiting for a knock on the door. Or maybe, Italian style, a kick the door down. Where they're going to be grabbed. They're going to be brought before the same wicked Sanhedrin. And then there's a cross with their name waiting on it. Instead, Jesus walks through the door without even knocking. How do you like those marbles? He just walks through the door. The, the God, the, the Bible says in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything that was made was made by this blessed Savior. He spoke, and quadrillions of planets came into being. This is the one who made Every atom and every proton, neutron, electron. He made it all. He didn't need to knock. He walks through the stinking door. And they are blown away. They doubted. They thought it's over. But Jesus appears to them. And then you know what he says again the next week, eight days later. He speaks to Thomas, who is someone you can't, what's the word I'm looking for? You cannot swindle Thomas. You cannot give him an argument. He is someone that needs proof. So Jesus says, here, put your hand in my side. Here are the nails in my hands. And he says, my Lord, my kurios, and my theos. You are my Lord. You are my God. See, the resurrection changes a person's life. Because when Thomas saw the nails, we saw the, 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 the nails in the hands and in the feet and the, the gaping wound in the side. It ripped him. It wrecked him. The resurrection should wreck us because that's the price that Jesus paid for our sin. We can't be ho-hum. It's just another Sunday. Are you kidding me? When Thomas got a picture 
of the pain and suffering of Jesus. Glory to God Almighty. He beat feet eastward all the way to the subcontinent of India. And he preached the gospel. And there are Bar Thomas churches that have been here for 1,980 years since. Experiment number five. Christ was seen by 500 people. Now the population, I don't exactly know what the population at that time was. Let's say it was a billion. Don't think it was a billion. But let's say it was a billion. 500 to a billion. What does that mean if there's 7.5 billion people today? 3,500 people saw Jesus. No hallucination. And their lives were forever changed. They didn't see him for a couple of hours. They didn't see him for a day. Jesus spent 40 days with them, talking to them about the things of God and the kingdom of heaven. And those people transformed the Roman Empire, brought the gospel everywhere. Each appearance, Walter Martin says, of the risen Christ is the repetition of the same experiment. They all encountered the same phenomenon. Jesus who died is now alive, and that's what changed the history of the world. Can I get an amen? amen. Jesus has risen from the dead. He repeatedly foretold his resurrection. The New Testament over and over decisively declares his resurrection. Jesus said, the Son of Man is going to go to Jerusalem and give his life. In three days he shall be raised from the dead. And the apostles are walking by like, what the heaven is he talking about? Can you imagine if you and I were the apostles? What is this crazy talk the rabbi's always giving us to us? Every week I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And three days later, Jesus, stop talking that way. Remember in Matthew 16, even Peter says, Lord, you, this, this shall not be. And Jesus says, depart from me, Satan. You don't even know what you're talking about. Jesus had a mission to die for evil sinners like you and I. Jesus loved sinners so much, that's you, that's me, that nothing could stop him from embracing the cross. And what my wonderful spiritual daughter, St. Patrick, missionary wife says to me, I love this, she said, Jesus beat the devil with his own stick. I love it. Because what the devil thought would be the end of the Messiah, his nightmare became a reality when the angel rolled away the stone and the creator of the universe and the savior of sinners walked out alive. Amen? Amen. Nevertheless, do you know that some people still doubt Christ's resurrection? That's a problem. But it's not a problem that can't be solved. People require concrete, reliable proof of the resurrection. But praise God, the Bible chronicles the proof of it historically by many, many infallible proofs. Well, let's go over these proofs right now. If you're writing a note in uh, your, your Bible, point number one from the Word of God is this. Point one, Jesus Christ's empty tomb is the infallible proof. Every other so-called religious leader 
is dead as nails. They're still in their tomb. People go and, and worship uh, 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 and, and, and commit idolatry by honoring people who blasphemed and, and told lies. But Jesus, when you go to his tomb, he's not there. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for his daughters and his sons. And that's you and I, if you've given your life to Christ. Amen? Amen. The tomb is empty. Christ's enemies, you know, they recalled the promise of the resurrection. It scared them to death in Matthew chapter 26, 63 to 66. The Sanhedrin spoke to Pontius Pilate about Jesus' promise in verse 63. Roman soldiers were ordered and summoned to guard Jesus' tomb, and a Roman seal was set by Pilate to prevent ultimate disaster. They knew, the Sanhedrin knew, except for um, Nicodemus, who was born again, and Joseph of Arimathea. They knew that if this Jesus, this rabbi, raises from the dead, they're toast. They're, they're exposed as frauds, and then worse than that, they're exposed as murderers of the Messiah that they've been waiting for. So they said, we have to make sure that this tomb is sealed and nobody comes out alive. Now, if you and I were Roman soldiers, you knew when you were given an order, if that order was refused, and if your mission was compromised, that's no problem. You were killed and executed in front of your, your Roman soldiers. So you better believe for the life of them, they guarded the tomb. Gee, you know what's odd though? Everybody else believed there was going to be a resurrection except Jesus' friends and disciples. They responded like they forgot what he was talking about. But the holy women went to anoint his body at the tomb. And ironically, while Jesus' enemies believed something was going to happen, they acted like it was all over. Isn't that like you and I sometimes when, when, when we go through trials in life as Christians? We feel like God has forsaken us. We feel like God's promises were not yea and amen. We feel like, you know, Lord, I, I know that's a story in the Bible, but... But that can't be for me. As the women approached the tomb, they found it empty. And amazingly, the Roman soldiers stated that the tomb was also empty. Another eyewitness account, not by believers, by Roman soldiers who were scared to death and trembling. Can I share something with you? Nothing made a Roman soldier tremble. The Roman soldiers were the most brutal, most austere, most equipped uh, soldiers in the history of the world at that time. And yet all these soldiers were trembling. And they go to the priests and say, my gosh, I don't, I, I don't understand. We, we were, oh my, what is that thing? It's an angel. We saw the, 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 the stone was rolled away. We, we were scared to death thinking that our lives were going to be taken from us. More, more evidence that Jesus is who he says he is and we should fall at his feet in worship and adoration. You know what they did? They convened for a meeting 
with the Roman soldiers. They convened for a meeting, and then they connived to lie about it, and they got the soldiers to lie for a bribe. But you know what they say? Lies only go so far, don't they? Lies can only be spread for so long. You know what destroys lies? Lies? Proof. Proof. Truth always destroys lies. And the devil, Jesus called him the father of lies. And so lies uh, come to an end when Jesus walks out of the tomb. And point number two, Jesus Christ's personal eyewitness. The testimony of eyewitnesses is honored and holds up in a court of law. How many of you have ever been in a court of law? I know you don't want to go there. Maybe some of you are like my wife and my daughter, and you watch all those programs, Perry Mason and so on and so forth. You, you know what I'm talking about. You, you know, hearsay is nonsense, but you have to have evidence, incontrovertible evidence. And those eyewitness testimonies hold up. The woman arrived at the tomb. The apostle Peter and John saw the empty tomb. The, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Thomas, the witnesses. Point three in, the, in today's message. Jesus Christ's disciples, energized and enthused, is an even greater evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Because they were sad. They were broken. Their faith was almost shipwrecked because they had spent three and a half years with a Savior. And they acted on his word, and they believed the things he said. But in their Jewish mind at that time, they could not imagine that a, a Messiah would be a suffering Savior that would die. They wanted a Messiah that would execute all the Roman soldiers, all the way from uh, present-day Kuwait, all the way to Scotland and everywhere between, because they were oppressed. They were looking for the wrong Savior. But how could they miss what had already been spoken of throughout the Tanakh and the Old Testament? How did they ever forget about Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering Savior? This Savior that was resurrected had to pay for your sins and mine. And so Jesus, when they, when they saw him and when he walked through the door without um, knocking on the door, they were energized, they were enthused. The crucifixion that we had studied um, on Good Friday and we had alluded to in the previous weeks demoralized and deflated Christ's disciples. They fled and they forsook as Jesus prophesied in Matthew 26, 56. Two of those we spoke about, the men on the road to a mouse, their lives were over. Have you ever experienced something in your Christian life that was so devastating a death of a loved one, a betrayal, uh, a lie about you, a financial hardship. All of us in life will experience devastating blows to our Christian faith. But how do we, how we respond to that is, 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 it's one thing to be knocked down. If you've watched the movie, Rocky, the, the series, remember he took the beating for 15 rounds. Jesus took the beating for 30 years. 
at 33 years. But then when he arose from the dead, he forever took the fangs out of that serpent. He destroyed the works of Satan once and for all. When they saw Jesus and when they saw a resurrected Christ, everything in their life changed and changed fast. Faith had been replacing fear. Doubting disciples were transformed into daring, dynamic witnesses. The spirit of cowardice was replaced by the spirit of courageousness. They were persecuted, murdered, and martyred for Jesus. You know what? No one is willing to die for a lie. If Jesus never rose from the dead, they would have stayed dejected. They would have remained demoralized. But they saw Jesus risen from the dead. And nobody can be risen from the dead unless God raises you from the dead. And here is the author of life with the keys of hell in his hands. Here is the one who is their champion. And when they spent 40 days with Jesus, can you imagine if you and I were the apostles or were the 120 or were the 500? Can you imagine what Jesus was sharing with those people? It was sharing things with them that they still could not wrap their minds around. But when God, the Son, sent the blessed Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and they were endued with power from on high, and they were in the upper room, and they spoke in known languages, they went forth and turned the world upside down. That's why there's this place in the middle of nowhere called First Baptist Church of Coleraine. Can I get an amen, church? Why in God's name do you think you and I are going to heaven? Because we stumbled on the faith? No, we were dead on, we were DOA, dead on arrival. And thank God somebody told us about a Savior who destroyed the works of Satan and who loves sinners. They even called Jesus, they mocked him, they said, he's the friend of sinners. Well, you know what, kids? I'm digging that, because I was the worst sinner I ever saw. He's a friend of sinners. You know what that means for you and I today? That if you're here today, and if you're watching this uh, uh, message on YouTube or, or, or any other means, that Jesus Christ loves your soul. It's not an accident that you came to this uh, video. You and I are sinners. You and I cannot pay for our sin. You and I are going to die a death, and they're going to have a funeral for us, and they're going to put a tombstone on us. But that's not where life really ends. There's a place called heaven. There's a place called hell. And all of us, from the time we were conceived, we were conceived, the Bible says in Psalm 51, in sin. We were we were damaged, we were broken, we were ruined, and then we demonstrated as little bratty children how evil we are. You don't have to teach children how to disobey, right, Mom? They just do it all on their own. Because the Bible says in Ephesians 2, we are the children of disobedience. But God loves us, 
And God loved us so much. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 16, that God so... Listen, there's just two letters, but those two letters, how much is so? God so, God so, God so much loved people who hated him that he sent the creator of the universe to walk on this planet. He was mocked. He was misunderstood. He was maligned. He was crucified, spat on, and they nailed him to the cross. And the devil and the demons thought he was dead as nails and he was on ice. But then Jesus arose. And Jesus, he vindicated everything that the word of God said about him in the Old Testament. And so, because of those 12 apostles... Because of those 500 believers, because as we read um, from Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 to 46 on Good Friday, that when Jesus died, the temple of uh, the veil of the temple was ripped in half. Remember, there was a veil there. Nobody could go and, and present the blood offering on the Ark of the Covenant, except the high priest. And if you were stupid enough to do that, of course, you couldn't do that because they would just haul you out. But if the high priest had made a mistake, if for some reason he forgot what to do, he already had a rope around one of his ankles with bells, ding, 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 ding like cowbells. And if he made a mistake and died and gave up the ghost, in the middle of the Holy of Holies, they would just pull him out. Hey, who wants to be the next high priest? Not me. I ain't going. No way in heaven I'm going. But Jesus is our high priest, the Bible says in Hebrews. And he ripped the veil so that boys and girls and men and women can have a direct access to the God who created us. Listen, do you know when you look in a mirror, you look at someone who is made. You and I are made in the image of God. Ah, isn't that mind-blowing? You have a will. You have emotions. You have an intellect. You and I will live forever. Let me ask you a question. Where is your next address when they put you in the ground? Is heaven your home? Or is hell your home? If you don't know the answer to that question, I need to ask you right now before I close this message. The only way you get to heaven is not by good works. It's by throwing yourself at the feet of this wonderful Savior. And by coming out with your hands up and admitting the obvious, there's an elephant in everybody's room. The elephant is you and me. Do you know what the greatest evidence is that Jesus is alive? The most convincing and irrefutable proof is the change that Christ makes in your life. When people want to know, is this Jesus real? Is he for real? Yes, he is for real. I am living proof. Those of you in this chapel that have given your life to Christ, confessed your sins before him, our radically changed life. There are over a hundred 
million lives around the world. Change lives. We are the living proof that Christ is alive. Today, Christ deserves to change you. He deserves to change you. You deserve to give your life to him. It's an absolute mandatory requirement. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, If any man or woman is in Christ, they're a new creature. All things are passed away. Drunkenness, perversion, swearing, arrogance. We drop them off the cliff in Jesus' name because the Spirit of God comes in to live in our lives. We are new people. We're never going to be the same again. That is an irrefutable proof of Christ's resurrection. Lastly, I want to close with a poem and then send you off with a blessing. This was a poem by a black Baptist minister called S.M. Lockridge. And it's a question, that's my king, do you know him? The Bible says my king is a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews, that's a racial king. He's the king of Israel, that's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's my king. Let me ask you a question. Do you know him today? David said the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can divine or define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings on you today. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him today? He's the greatest phenomenon that ever crossed the horizon of the world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in solitude of himself. He's awesome. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem of higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder this morning, do you know him? I wonder if you know him. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and he sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debts. He delivers captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek.
I wonder this morning, do you know him? Well, he's my king. That's my king. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring to wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway to peace. He's the roadway to righteousness. He's the highway to holiness. He's the gateway to glory. Let me ask you something this morning. Do you know him? His office is manifold. His promises are sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. But he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hand. You can't live without him. And you can't live with him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod could not kill him. Death could not handle him. And the grave could not halt him. Is that your king this morning? If it is this morning, give the Lord praise in the house of God today. That is our king. That is our savior. That's the one worthy for you and I to live and die for. Let's bow our heads right now. Father, we thank you so much. We are not worthy of this king. We are so unworthy of King Jesus. Well, Lord Jesus, we worship you. Father, we worship you and we thank you. You sent the king not to execute his enemies, but to die for those who refuse him. Thank you, Lord. I forgot to say the greatest evidence is the life of Saul of Tarsus, the greatest murderer, the greatest persecutor of the church, Thank you for saving Saul of Tarsus. Because if anyone in this building thinks he's done, she's done something so bad that God could never forgive me, Jesus saved Saul of Tarsus. He could save you today. Father, I thank you so much for your word. As we leave this building today, help us to leave with renewed vigor to reach those who've never heard the gospel of Christ. We worship you today, Lord, and we ask that you bless your people all over the earth as they are worshiping you on Resurrection Sunday. Be glorified. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you again for tuning in. You can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you find podcasts. We'd love for you to join us at the First Baptist Church in Coleraine, For Sunday morning worship at 11 a.m., we are located at 81 Foundry Village Road, Coleraine, Massachusetts. If you have any questions or inquiries, please feel free to call the church at 413-624-8886. Hope to see you soon. God bless.